Three, two, one, go. I'm here with Mr. Clive Goslin. Clive, finally, sit down. Yeah, this is a quick sit down. I think we've been talking about doing a podcast for years and I think we decided that if we're going to do it, we need to do it properly. I need to be in LA. We've got bags. Yes, yes. We need to dig through all the dirty past. Yes. The, and all the all the stories that we can tell. So today, I think it's just like a quick, you're in the UK, let's have a catch up and a chat. All right, cool. All right, well, let's uh, let's start it off. I've known you for literally 40 years, probably. Yeah. We kind of started at the same time. We kind of did everything together. You're a couple of years older than me, but same races, same everything, really. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so a lot of great stories to share. Uh, when did you start BMX? How did you find it? Uh, I started BMX in 1980 on July the 21st, which was my 11th birthday. And, um, and my family had a bike shop. A lot of people know about Edwards because they had BMX teams for many years. So that was my family's bike shop. That was started by my great grandfather in 1908. So uh, bikes and bike shops have been in the family for forever. And um, and it was my birthday and my mum took me to the bike shop and my mum worked in the business as well. And um, and my BMX had just come out and they mainly had like Team Murray's in the shop. And my uh, my mum said to my granddad, um, oh, it's Clive's birthday, he wants a, wants a bike. And my granddad said, he can have any bike in the shop if it's his birthday. And my mum said, he actually wants one of those new BMXs. And my granddad said, well, if he wants one of those toys, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> So I think that's the perception of BMX in the early days when it came out. Mm-hmm. You know that it was, uh, you know, maybe something that wasn't going to last. And actually, um, actually, one of my, uh, I think one of my regrets, one of my mum's regrets, was that my granddad died before he saw BMX become a proper sport. Right. And also, you know, me become all right at doing a proper sport. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's when I got my first bike. Can you remember finding the track for the first time? Riding the track, yeah, I can. Uh, I mean, like I said, how long have you got? My, yeah. my first bike was a blue and yellow Team Murray. I think it was a three forty. The Leicester Mags, the pedal back brake, um, you know, the box bars. You know, my first kit was uh, from Halfords because that's all you could really get. I think we all had that. Yeah, yeah when yeah. Halfords got a helmet and stuff, yeah. and um, and man, I used to. Oh, I went through three or four of those frames. They used to. Split the bottom bracket, the bottom bracket shells had a seam, so they used to split the bottom brackets, used yeah. to break the back ends. Um, God, I can't remember how many of those. I think I had three or four of those because um, they just keep, used to keep breaking. But we, um, yeah, like a few of my friends had them as well. And we, uh, you know, back then before before the internet, magazines or anything, you used to like find out, you know, in the playground, like where you would go. Yeah. And there was like, yeah, everybody with BMXs goes down uh, the jumps. The back of East Croydon train station. There's mm. a derelict car park, and some kids put a plank of wood up against a milk crate. Right. So I remember like riding over there in my Parker coat with my mate, and uh, he actually had a Team Murray three ten, which was like orange and black. Mm-hmm. And every time we used to get the woods, the wasps wouldn't leave him alone. <laughs> and uh, and yeah, we went down there. And we saw these kids jumping, but the area that I lived in, so that was in near Croydon, where I grew up when I was a kid. And, uh, and that area actually was a real hot spot for a lot of BMX megastars. So literally where we lived and where we rode. So the areas where we rode, like Fox's Wood, Betts Park, places like that. You had people like um, Trevor Chapman. Uh, you had Chris Young, Andy Young, Gary Llewellyn, Wayne Llewellyn, Warren Godfrey, Stephen Godfrey. Yeah. You basically had this real hotbed of like southeast London yeah. kind, of, kind of guys. And... Um, and also, like because Chris Young used to live so close and he used to have the, the ramp in the garden, he used to go around there and just, you know, any time you go around there and there would be like some BMX superstars that were... And they were all factory there. already, them guys, oh, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they were yeah. all factory. We were, yeah. just, we were just the little Grom hanger-ons that used to go around and like watch them, right? Yeah. Yeah, so that was it. That was where it all started. Can you remember uh, your first race? Yeah, my first race uh, was at Butmore Park. Um, so... You you uh remember the Wiltshires like Dean Wiltshire Eddie, yeah. So basically, there's a guy called David Wiltshire. He was like the rep for Amoco. Right. So he used to come round the shop selling my uncle, you know, or my granddad at the time, you know, Mongoose BMXs, and uh, he said to my mum, he said, "Oh, you know, they they race BMXs down at Butmore Park," so um so my mum took me down there, and uh I think like my helmet wasn't even like good enough, so they like lent me a helmet to do my first race. And I guess that was probably 1981 at Butmore. 
Yeah, can you yeah. remember who you raced with or? Oh no, I remember Colin Sharp from OT Cycles was doing the start gate. I think it. I, I don't think they used to have the little skate park there as well, at Butler Park. I think um, it they sort of just gone from a literally like a rubber band start gate to, to a, a gate. You know, one man kind of you know. Yeah. Twelve inch high start gate, um. But if you see, like, I saw a picture this week on. I think Keith Wilson put a picture up from Butmore where you sort of came around the first turn, you had that little double and then the drop. Yeah. So it was like when it was that original configuration of the Butmore. There's some really early pictures of Ruffle there as well, I think, at Butmore. That's the yeah. kind of, that's yeah, the kind yeah. of era. In fact, I've got a picture. you got some great here. pictures here. Yeah, that's a picture, but that's actually when Butmore had been revamped a little bit. Right. Yeah, but the original Butmore was super small, super tight. I went once, I think, the National 83, when yeah. it was rainy. I yeah. was a novice, yeah. That's yeah. the only time I ever went. But I'd obviously seen it a lot in the Michaels already by then, yeah. Yeah, so. but more. It was awesome. Okay, so how did you progress? You know, obviously you started doing Nationals pretty quick, right? By 83, you were doing Nationals, right? Um. So so we did what kids did. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I kept breaking the bikes. You know, mum sort of recognised pretty quick that I needed a better bike. So, um, so I got a blue Diamondback. Uh, it was a blue Diamondback Senior Pro. I can tell you pretty much every nut and bolt on every bike I ever had. Right. It's really like ingrained in my yes. in my in my memory. Um, you know, I can't remember much else from back then. But I had a blue Diamondback and it had uh, like blue Diamondback bar stem, seat post crank, had everything on it. And um, and but I didn't I didn't go to nationals at that point. We were still sort of doing like club races and regionals. Yeah. The first time I did a national. I got I was on a red line and it was probably like eighty three like muddy out well like okay, those, yeah. they sort of races yeah, yeah yeah they're the first ones I can actually remember yeah. I can't tell you my first national because I can't remember right you're on the same as me then we're about the same doing next eighty three yeah, what was yeah. Your UK BMX three oh seven five okay so there you your... go everybody now you if you want to get Dale's um, card you've got his <laughs> his uh, pin number <laughs> <laughs> I think it has been something at some point oh yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> Um, so, so yeah, I was two, four, seven, one. So I was okay, you know, a, bit slightly, full, a little yeah. bit earlier, but yeah. yeah, we, we were all kind of the same time. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think it was a great era because we, you know, we, as we were talking about earlier, mm. we were, you know, when I say we were like me, you and, you know, others, we were maybe the sort of like next yes, generation. After of, the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys, basically yeah. had those, those early eighties pioneers. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but in 88, we had that big picture in B-Cross magazine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it basically yeah. said... The next era. It was like yeah. me, you... Tom, Darren Tom, O'Neill. Darren O'Neill, Rob Stobart. Stobart, yeah. And it was... It Keith Bryceland. Said, yeah, yeah. And it basically said, you know, this is sort of like the next... Era. Era yeah, or generation. generation. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great picture. It I is. just wish my seat posts weren't so high. <laughs> <laughs> but I think... Um, yeah, if I, if I think about like national rankings, if I think about... Actually, I could probably figure out like nationals, I remember when I got my first ever national points. And remember you used to get points if you made a semi-final, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and I thought that was great because if you didn't make a semi at a national, you didn't get a ranking. Mm-hmm. And I think you really felt like you earned, earned it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I remember Paul National, probably 84, I made the semi. I think I came last in the semi or maybe seventh, but I got like one or two national points. Enough to get a number. Yeah, so the following year I had like a national ranking and that yeah. was a really big deal for me. And I think... I think my national rankings went like 27, 24, 22, 17, 14, 7, 4, 1, something like that. Yeah, so yeah. So like you just, just, you know, eight, you know, if you stick around something long enough, you'll, yeah. eventually, you'll eventually be good at it. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it was, we were all, let's like say we were all on the same thing. It took a while for us all to work it out. But like I say, when that bubble burst and a few of those early factory guys kind of disappeared, we were all ready to step into that next uh, era. And I'm kind of jumping the gun a bit here, but I think me, you and Tom was probably the first national team outing, right? When we went to... Uh, Perpignan. Perpignan. That was the yeah, first yeah. time everything... We First time I flew to a race, everything was paid. Yeah. Uh, but let, we'll, we'll go back to that. Let's go back a few more years first. So obviously you're in the, the age group of doom, as we say, Paul calls it. You know, Darren Wood, Lee Alexander, Stu Diggins. I mean, the, the list goes on of... Of riders and stuff so it was probably pretty tough for you for those first few years right yeah especially being from sort of london area because mm. that was also a real hotbed for those riders yeah so i think you could go to a regional and you know if you made the main at a regional it was it was 
it was almost like a national. Yeah. I mean, because there literally was so much sort of talent in that age group. Um, and it was, it was a really, yeah, it was a really tough age group. Yeah. However, you know, I think, I think it makes you realise why you ride. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't really, I'm actually not a very competitive person. Mm-hmm. And I actually didn't ride and race BMX because I wanted to win races or make a living out of it. Like, like, like you and like some other people. I did it because I just really love doing it. Yeah. And it's basically what I did with my friends. Mm-hmm. So even when, even late 80s when BMX fell off a cliff and it was absolute, you know, the, the races were awful, the tracks were awful, everything was awful. We still went racing, mm-hmm. but we were starting to like, you know, get to the track, race. But really the fun started when the race finished because we were on the track for a couple of hours jumping and then we'd go out and we'd, you know, go to a nightclub and we'd, you know, have fun. So yeah. it, for me, BMX has always really been about the social element and the friendship element. I'm not a very competitive person and I never really took it that seriously and I never really trained. And actually, that's why I think I was never actually that good. And the reason I say that is because most of the podcasts that you do and you have done have been with people that have generally been sort of BMX superstars are really successful at BMX. I absolutely don't classify but I think technic- myself. Well, you definitely do I don't Clive, classify yeah. myself. Yeah. Listen, I, I got number one when everybody else had gone to superclass. But you were still progressed as a rider. You were doing stuff that we weren't doing. And even the guys older, the pros, were, you were picking up for stuff and you was technically very good. Oh, I, I did. You know? Listen, I was, I was good at some stuff. Yeah, I, could, yeah. I, could, I could speed jump a brick wall. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, but I, I definitely think that because I didn't, like especially like you and Tom, you guys wanted to be professional BMXers. Mm-hmm. You wanted to make a living out of it. Mm-hmm. I never had that, so therefore I never trained that hard. I never. I mean, I remember when, you know, late eighties. Well, actually, the probably the sort of golden time for me was, um, I started hanging out with like Will Smith and the Jive guys. Yeah. And in. 80 in 88 we went to california for about a month yeah one of the first guys yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. we stayed in our yeah, era at least yeah, yeah we yeah. actually stayed with gork and the guys at wizard publications so mm-hmm. bmx action magazine we stayed in their house we would go and do photo shoots with mad dog and spike jones and honestly it was it was you got so, some good coverage as well didn't you uh, yeah oh uh, i think i got a picture in the background of a bike test <laughs> i've seen you in quite a few bmx actions though yeah yeah but that like that time it was it was just incredible it was mm-hmm. awesome and it made me want to go back and, and and literally when i came back to the uk i was like wow bmx in america is where it's at like yeah. i'm not staying here and um and late 88 i literally just uh just jumped on a plane and and went over to norcal and bummed around on a few sofas and and the, and then ended up in Texas with the guys at SNS Racing for a couple of years. Yeah. So I was out there. So I was probably, probably one of the earlier riders to go out there, and kind of live out there. But again, I didn't go out there like you guys went out yeah, there to yeah. make a living and progress right. your careers. Mm-hmm. I went out there for the fun and the adventure of riding and meeting people. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I remember when you came back, you definitely progressed as well. So I think that's when you kind of went into your own then, really. Oh, I had to. Yeah, yeah. Went out to Norcal and was riding with Cecil Johns. You ever try keeping up with Cecil right, Johns? Right, yeah. Up a, riding up a mountain? All them guys, yeah. All the oh, boss man. guys I mean, and stuff. They were, I mean, that's a whole different podcast story. That, mm-hmm. that was some nuts times. But we were, I mean, I actually, I actually am very thankful to be really lucky to be in the right place at the right time, to have experience, loads of really cool stuff. So, like on those, you know, when I was staying in Texas with, Michelle and Ryan, the the SNS crew, you know, they would have people come out and stay with them. You know, when the Texas National was on, you know, Charles Townsend and Todd Corbett would come out two weeks before and we would all be like hanging out and training together and everything else. So I was just really lucky to be able to meet lots of really cool people under the right environment and circumstances to, you know, have lifelong memories and to be able to tell cool stories. So Clive, you've always been factory, currently still are. Um, tell us about some of those earlier teams and like say the first 10 years of racing some obviously Edwards was your probably first sponsor yeah I think um, again again lucky to um, be lucky for the family to have a bike shop mm-hmm. you know I take it I really took it for granted back then you 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 know we all owe 
such a big debt to our parents mm-hmm. for supporting us and taking us to the races and buying us all those cool bikes, obviously from which my mum did, you know, luckily, you know, we had a bike shop, so it was a little bit easier for us because we, you know, got everything, you know, cheap and everything else. But um, yeah, we wouldn't have been able to do it. But I think my first, I mean, my blue diamond back, looking back at it, it was like a pretty, it, it was just like blue. Everything <laughs> was blue. And I remember I completely ruined it at Buckmore <laughs> when um, I, I was absolutely desperate for a pair of Amy Finney grips when they came out. Right. You know? It was like about 20 pieces. Yeah. And I went over to Jane Window at Hotshot and she had one pair left and they were red and yellow. And I was like, I don't care, I'll take them. Right. And I had this all blue bike and I put these red and yellow grips on. I stood back and looked at the bike and I was like, oh, well, that's ruined that bike. So then I put some like yellow tires or something on it. But um, I think my first really nice bike, so after that I had a Redline MX2 with like graphite Z rims and, you know, that that was a really cool bike. But I think my first really factory bike, the one that I really loved, I had a Red GHP in 84. That was it, yes, yes. Man, that bike, I, I found Horror a picture. Horror Pants, do you have Horror oh, Pants? I had Horror yeah. Pants, yeah, but that yeah. bike, I found a picture of it the other day. Yeah. That I bike remember. had That bike had star bars, ESP stems, sunlight halves. Full face helmet, right? Yeah, full face bell helmet, bell, bell, bell yeah. BMX3, but the bike had like hutch pedals, flight, you know, four one flight cranks, chrome, chrome seven L rims. You know, it had everything on it. If that bike was around today, it would be a collector's wet dream and worth about five thousand, <laughs> about five grand. Um, so I think again, lucky, lucky to have the bike shop, but also I think, I think I just had quite a good eye at putting together quite a nice bike, and mm-hmm. then, you know, just used to have some other dads kind of come and you know, ask my advice, what should I put on? And then a few more dads coming over saying, hey, if I pay you, can you put my kid's bike together? So, um, yeah, I just liked tinkering with bikes. Uh-huh. Um, in fact, there's a cool story there because on the Red GHP, I had to learn how to fix stuff because my mum, my mum put the bottom bracket in on that bike <laughs> and ended up putting a hole in the frame. <laughs> so I was like, I'll tell you what, mum, you're really good on the tools, but you step back, I'm going to take it right. from here. And uh, since then, I've been sort of really, you know, really focused on making my bikes mint. So, yeah. So after the GHP, you're into like, you know, 80, what's that? 80, that was 85. So then you're in 86 with a 09. You know, I think one of the best oh, brands. Oh, still. The yeah. look and the feel. Yeah, still looks great. Yeah. Early pictures. Yeah. Um, so I went to, yeah, I went to the bike show, probably Ells Court or Olympia, 85 and, and Hot Wheels, uh, just brought the first zero nine frame in, mm-hmm. and uh, and obviously Graham Mary was was there, and I was like, oh Graham, I love it, and he's like, well look, I've got one jersey, one bag, one pair of pants, one frame, it's all your size, it'll all fit you, you know. So I was like, yeah, I'll have it, you know. So back then sponsorship, back then sponsorship, if you were lucky, was like a bit of a deal on a you know mm-hmm. you got a deal on a bike or whatever. So um, in fact the, but. But because of the Edwards team, I took it for granted, like I said earlier, that we, you know, that I used to get a lot of stuff that I probably didn't appreciate. Yeah. You know, and everybody in the Edwards team, like, initially, we just had, like, red T-shirts with Team Edwards. Uh, oh, and I had a Robinson. What am I talking about? 83, I had a really sweet Robinson. So um, so I used to wear, I had the Robinson with the, all the Robinson kit, and then I had to wear the red Edwards T-shirt over the top of the really factory Robinson kit. Right. Um. But yeah, the Edwards team was, you know, was amazing because it, it, you know, apart from me, who was spoiled, rotten back then, it was a lot of really underprivileged kids from South East London that probably couldn't afford to get Amazing to riders at the Red for Edwards. Oh, my, you know what, my, um, you know, my uncle had this big old red van and he used to pull up outside Edwards on a, on a Sunday morning, open the back doors and whoever was there got in the van and we went racing to Milton Keynes you know, Hounslow, Hillingdon, whatever. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, the the shop gave a lot of people a good opportunity to ride. People like Gary Llewellyn, Charlie Reynolds, you know, early Edwards riders, Karen Murphy, Dean Idios, you know, some some real sort of superstar riders oh, started yeah. out on Edwards. All went on to great yeah. things, you know, even yeah. Joan Edwards. Yeah. So, um, so after zero nine Robinson, right? Or was there anything no, between that? No, I rode for zip. Well, I say rode for. So in, in 86 at the Worlds... I yeah, just, talk a little bit about 86. You just didn't really good at the Euros, right? You got fourth. Yeah, I think 86 was a bit of a turning point. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. Yeah, because I think, I think I was sort of like... In 86, I was probably like, you know, able to make most national finals, and that was a pretty stacked age category. 
and then something just clicked at the at the at the Euros in Germany. Germany, and I was just riding really good, and you know I ended up fourth, but I because uh, there was kind of like a bit big kind of snag up down the first straight with yeah. you know bikes and helmets going everywhere. But I actually felt like I could have podiumed, or yeah. or weirdly even even yeah no you was watching the video you was you was right yeah, like I said like know, say technically good yeah you was it just clicked maybe it was yeah. the track it was the bike whatever it was but um, that's kind of when I first maybe realised actually I can win some shit and then came back straight into the worlds and running good um, there again yeah just bad luck yeah I think I had. I think I had like Charles Townsend in my quarter and slid out in the last main, but I was in fourth when I slid out. So. And along with like I mentioned when I talked to Tom, and I think Woody as well, one of the few guys to pick up for that second jump down the second straight. A lot of the pros weren't even doing that. No, like I said earlier, if if I could probably do one thing better than most people, it would just be I could speed jump the shit out. Of and pedal down the downside. He was yeah. good at that as well. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, um, riding good at Slough Wells, yeah, crashed in the quarters, but like I said, you, it would have been interesting to see how far you'd have gone if you hadn't crashed. Yeah, you know? and then and then after that, the rest of 86, I was not only, you know, making most finals, but, you know, I remember, like, I think Bretton's was the last yes. one, and I think yeah. I got third behind Woody and Alex. Yeah. And, you know, in that age group, you still had people like Tim Prynne and a whole mm-hmm. bunch of really fast guys. So, so I think the end of 86, I sort of, you know, was, I think I finished that year like national number seven mm-hmm. which in that age group was 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 pretty, pretty good pretty good um and then the following year 80 87 yeah that was like orlando worlds and all kinds of stuff going on so um yeah that was a pretty big year as well mm-hmm. but you know like i said i didn't i don't felt even though i got better i i never i've never considered myself like a superstar BMX racer in the same well way. i was i spoke about it numerous times and i think that's when the magazines kind of disappeared and that's when we all kind of came into our yeah the, let's say the next year the new the new the new generation is we came through when there wasn't much media so people it wasn't really documented that much so maybe you know we were just doing our own little thing but at the same time we're kind of pushing pushing through you know those next couple of years obviously tom um neil wood you know i mean this um, could list so many different people so it just really wasn't seen i think you know yeah oh some of the some of the riders were uh, amazing you know geth like you said you know neil but also and dylan but also the riding was changing because as you know like street riding was coming along so we you know we uh, you know a race we'd like disappear and you know i remember i think maybe like worlds in marseille like me geth and you know, Dylan found a little like bank to a chain link fence, and we probably spent two hours just like yeah. running the fence. Yeah, there's a picture of Dylan. Yeah, doing so that. I yeah, think yeah. I think I think because BMX was expanding outside of just like, you know, your racers, your freestylers, all of a sudden street kind of blended the two. And like I said, because I was kind of hanging out with Will Smith and those guys, they'd come over to the UK, and we would go and hit up freestyle contests and street contests. Mm-hmm. You know, so like you know Hoffman, Hoffman's like first backflipping public at Bercy, his first flare in the UK up at Mansfield, street comps. We were kind of doing all that as well. Yeah. So so I think A, that kept it interesting. It kept me involved, but also it pushed the riding on mm-hmm. because, you know, the tracks were shit. So we were riding more skate parks. We were riding more ditches. We were riding more bank to walls. We were riding South Bank. We were riding with freestylers. You know, I used to hang out with people like Simon Tabron when I used to live in London. Mm-hmm. Love that guy. Um, you know, and, and you, it didn't matter if you were on race bike or freestyle bike, or if you had a race background or freestyle background, you were all just on BMXs having fun. And like you was a, contributed a lot with the magazine stuff as well. Like I say, there was not much going on, but what was seen in the magazines, like you and obviously Paul, you know, obviously Will still, but, but, but was, was kind of helping keep, keep it alive that way as well, you know? So you literally ride your bike, go home and write about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely. Zines, you used to do the zines a lot for the Federation, you know, UK BMX. I forgot about that. Yeah, you wrote all kinds of stuff. Yeah, so I worked at UK BMX, uh, with Val Hyde and Bridget Hayes. Mm -hmm. So I guess that was, I guess that was one of my first actual jobs. Right. First kind of paid jobs. So I used to travel all the way across, um, the other side of London to the office uh, in Sheen, where where Bridget uh, used to live, so we um so yeah he used to do the trackside zine and yeah and back then 
it was before like desktop publishing. Right. So I used to like type it out on a typewriter, cut it out and stick it onto a piece yeah, of Yeah, I've been reading some of your stuff, like funny stuff as well, stuff that you probably going to even print now, you know? It's just bicycles like funny. And dirt. Yeah, bicycles yeah. and dirt. Yeah, bicycles and dirt. I mean, like I say, that we do have to have a proper sit down. So we're just kind of breezing through a lot of this stuff. Um, and talk a little bit about your mum, because obviously in the background, in the thick of it as well, in, on the UK BMX and still... Yeah. Yeah, like I said, where would we where would we be without our mums? Mm. Um, well, our parents, but for me, it was all about my mum. My dad, my dad was a, a big road rider, and um, and when BMX came along, you know, I got. I mean, I used to have a you know drop bar race bike and used to skid the crap out of it and try and you know jump stuff on it and smash it to pieces. So my dad was a road guy, and when BMX came out, you know, my dad would say stuff like, you know, when are you going to get a real bike like your dad? That kind of stuff. And then um, we had a pretty, pretty traditional family. My dad would go out for a road ride on a Sunday morning and he'd get back at lunchtime and my mum would have a, lunch, a roast lunch and he would eat it and then fall asleep on the TV watching, you know, a, a professional road race or something on TV. And then when we started racing, like I said, Buckmore was that first race. And, um, you know, me and my mum immediately were like, wow, this is, this is great. I've actually got a really early picture of my mum doing being like a finish line lady at Buckmore. Yeah. You know, big like donkey jacket and frizzy hair. Right. About like 83. So I think, I think we started going to BMX races and my dad would, you know, not really be interested in coming. He came to a few, but he wasn't really interested. So he would go out for a, his Sunday morning road ride with his friends, come back at lunchtime and there was no roast lunch because me and my mum were right, at the track. Shoreham or Herne Bay or Folkestone mm-hmm. or wherever. So, um, yeah, a, you know, my mum drove us not all over the country, but all over the world, and not just me. You know, we, you know, for years we used to go and pick up Winnie and take him to all the races. Mum used to take Darren O'Neill to all the international races. So mum took everybody everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, and like I said, we, we, you know, we, we would go to Wigan, for example, and mum would be on the finish line all day. I'd be racing. And then we finished the race, throw everything in the car, I'd get in the passenger seat and just fall asleep. Right. Mum would drive four or five hours home. Mm-hmm. But she'd probably had a, just as much of a hard day as me. Yeah. But we just were kind of oblivious to it. Yeah. And I think our parents aren't like us today. Mm-hmm. You know, we're like, hey, I've been doing this all day. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They just, they just, <laughs> just got on with it. it. They yeah. just did it. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, mum, you know, mum started off early, you know, working on finish line, then getting involved with UK BMX. And then, you know, like Slough Worlds, you know, heavily involved with that. Even like London Olympics, she was the uh, like, like main sort of commissaire at London Olympics. Yeah. And even, you know, even she took a little bit of a break for a few years mm-hmm. when my, uh, my nan wasn't well. And she sort of had to look after my nan who mm-hmm. passed away a few years ago. But even now, like this year, I went up to the, um, you know, the, the Supercross in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. You know, mum's doing, mum's doing, this, you know, the start hill. Right, yeah, yeah, know? yeah. Definitely um, longevity. So the fact she's, and I think also things have changed because back in the 80s, you know, Carol would have been introduced as, you know, oh, this is Clive's mum. Right. You know, today I go to the race and it's like, oh, this is Carol's son. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because nobody's yeah. heard of me anymore. But right. They know, uh, they know who Carol is. Yeah, no, she's... So, um, yeah, can't, can't begin to express how much gratitude I've got for what my mum has done for me mm-hmm. in life and BMX, but also what she's just given the sport of BMX because she's given a lot of years and a lot of time. Absolutely, and she's always helped us, like say, on the when we first started going internationally, like say the first, I think that at least, at least again, for, for us was the first paid, everything's paid for, you're going to France for a race, and it was uh, me because I was number one in 16 to you because she was 17 plus number one or two. And Tom was superclass number one. So yeah. we all got to go to a big invitational. It was all covered. We flew there. You know, we had a great time. We still talk and laugh and joke about it now. Uh, but it was like you say, your mum took care of us and we had no idea what to do without her, you know? Yeah, that, um, yeah, that, uh, uh, and what was that, 86? 88. 88? Yeah. I remember it being, a, no, it was 88, you're yeah. right. And that was down in Perpignan. Perpignan, right? down yeah. Down in Perpignan. And we flew to Paris. And then took the sleeper train. We got the sleeper train down there. And, uh, Actually, having said earlier on how mediocre I think my BMX career has been, that's probably... You did good there. Yeah, you got third. I got third I got behind fourth. Phil and Baz. Yeah, and I got fourth, yeah. I got third, you yeah. got fourth. Tom didn't Tom, make it. Tom didn't make the final. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> probably the only time Tom Lynch didn't make an international final. Right. But yeah, though that was a... It was indoor on carpet, right? It was the Bonanza track, yeah, the yeah. carpet track, which I think still yeah. kind of 
it was good, you know. It was really good fun. I yeah. remember that trip. I got great Well, that's where we got to hang out with Bass and Phil and be friends with them, yeah. really. That's where it yeah, started for us. Yeah, as well. Yeah, Claude. Yeah, yeah I, actually, I think as well, you know, the, the, the ability for, for us to sort of travel internationally, you know, I, I remember, I mean, we're looking at pictures here of Bercy. The first Bercy I went to was 84, which I think was the first one. Yeah. And I actually broke my thumb in practice and couldn't race. But, um, you know, I remember back then in 84, I would have been like, you know, 14, 15. In fact, I was 14. And, you know, you go to school on Monday morning and the kids would be like, you know, or a teacher would be like, what did you do at the weekend? Mm. Oh, I played football, miss. Oh, yeah, I did this. What did you do? Oh, I went to Paris for an international BMX race right. in front of 13,000 spectators. Yeah. And it was crazy, right? Mm-hmm. It was no. really, really good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I guess talk about maybe the first year you got number one then. Talk a little about that, the guys you battled with, kind of. Uh yeah, can do. I mean, like I said, you you know, you you guys had all gone up to superclass. I just, I. You waited one more year. Well, I, yeah, and I, it wasn't because I wanted to get a number one plate. Although I think subconsciously I probably did, and everybody else had gone up, so I thought my chances would be pretty good. Mm. But also, um, like I said, I just I just wasn't motivated to right, yeah, yeah, to like move. You know, I never thought that I would ever make a living mm-hmm. riding a bike. So it was always about just the fun. But in that year, yeah, that number one year, so that would have been 88. I was on RevCore. Who was in that age group that year? Bobby Hyde. Bobby Hyde. Paul Roberts, obviously. Paul Roberts. Still. Robin Mason. Robin Mason. Who got number one in 87, I think, right? He got number one, Rob 17 Mason. plus. Jonathan oh, Hearn. he did. And yeah, I can yeah, tell. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right, listen. You know, I'm not taking anything away from him. Mm-hmm. But... That eighty seven, I think, I think I was in contention for number one. I At Hounslow. No, I think the last race was Newcastle. Okay. And it was one where it pissed with rain. It right. was fucking. And you didn't want to race because you wanted to get your bike dirty. I, I remember. I don't know how I remember that. I just remember it. I didn't want yeah. to race. I remember. My, and my mum was like. You, you had new balls, eye hubs or something. Yeah, my mum was like, "You could get number one if you race." I'm like, "I don't want to race. It's muddy." Yeah. And I don't want to get covered in shit. And I and the track shit. And I did. And she said, "But you could get number one." Right. And I said, "Yeah, I'm just not bothered about getting." I number remember one. that. Yeah. Yeah. So actually, I I think I probably could have got number one in eighty in eighty seven. Eighty seven. Yeah, but then. Um, See that just gets back to what I was saying about me. I think some people might think I'm competitive, but I'm I'm not. Um, and I think we've got other stories about people that are competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think she didn't tell me at the time, but my mum did say that sometimes Grot Bags used to ring my mum on a Saturday right. night, <laughs> telling my mum that he was going to beat me the following day, but she never told me. Right, right. I think he was trying to psych me out. Right, yeah. My mum playing head that. head games. Yeah. So, um, who else was in that age? Uh, bracket so yeah Jonathan, some heavy, heavy yeah yeah it's still right? good yeah we there was a super class but 17 plus was still good as well you know so yeah, yeah. i don't think uh and then you did finally go super class so you got number one then you bumped up in 89 or the end of 89 uh yeah robinson right yeah do you know what no after that i went to america and i was out there for nearly two years so i think i sort of came back in 90 okay and then in 90 yeah, when I came back, I was on Robinson. That's an interesting story. Um, so I was riding for Revcor. Yeah. Um, living in the US, staying with the SNS guys, having a bunch of fun. Went to a national in Lemoore, California, and had Steve Veltman in my moto. <laughs> and first moto, he hit the gate and I won the moto. Right. And do you remember Root Girl that used to run? It the, was no, I, uh, I remember reading about it, but I never. Okay, never so met there her. was yeah. yeah, the lady that used to run like the GT and Robinson teams. She she didn't see the gate, but she saw me beat Veltman. Right. And uh, and she came over, and I knew her because Fuzzy was on Robinson, and mm-hmm. I knew Fuzzy from from years before King of Dirt and stuff like that. And she came over, and she's like, "Yeah, yeah, you need you need to get on Robinson," and and because I had a really good relationship with Hot Wheels. And I had a good, like in 87, Graham Mary took me to California when we were at the Orlando Worlds. And uh, we went and stayed with Roger Washam at CW, went to all the factories. So I kind of felt like I had a real good sort of connection with Hot Wheels and CW and stuff like that. So when, uh, when she said, do you want to ride for Robinson? I immediately was like, oh, no, no, I've you know, got a great relationship with like, uh, Revcore and the distributor in the UK, blah, blah, blah. And then, and then weirdly, I went back to Texas and I ordered a new frame. Like Revcore, I had some really nice pictures that I, that I gave them. And they used one of the pictures in a Revcore ad in the ABA newspaper. Yeah. 
So I was like, oh, you know, you, you feel like you're something special. And I, so I called them up and I, I needed a new frame. So I ordered the frame and the frame was delivered to SNS, but it had like a cash on delivery tag on it for like, you know, 150 bucks or something. So, um, so I called them up and I was like, oh, hi, it's Clive. I just got the frame, but I think there might be some sort of um, paperwork misunderstanding because there's like a COD thing on there. And they're like, yeah, 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 no, you got to pay for it. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> okay, bye. And I put the phone down and uh, I was like, fuck, I'm not having that. No, no. So literally, I, th- I mean, it was back then, it was picking up the phone because yeah. it, you know, it was pre-internet and stuff. So I picked up the phone to Robinson and I was like, hey, you know, a couple of weekends ago, you said if I want to ride with Robinson. I'm ready. Yeah, let's do it. And um, and uh, the and when that happened, all my stuff arrived when the, the, the Austin National was just about to happen. So that was my kind of home track and that would have been my first race and um and like todd corbett came out a couple of weeks before and we were he was hanging out and we were training so he was there when all my stuff turned up and i've, I've actually i should have bought it today but i didn't have time to root through my shoe boxes but i've still got like the packing slip you know i mean what was that like 30 many, years ago 30 years right yeah i've still got a piece of paper that was attached to a box that says you know gt paperwork clive gosling factory robinson and it has all the stuff right and uh and Todd Corbett was with me, and he's like, we're opening, going through these boxes, and there's like like six jerseys, six pants, three helmets, four shoes, jackets, a thousand decals, ten pad sets. And uh, and Todd Corbett was like, shit, I don't even get this much stuff. And um, and that weekend, like, Dino had just, like, changed the style of the race pants. That was pads. it, Dino, yeah, you guys run and, that. Uh, and TC was like, no way, they're the new Dino pants. So they've only just come out. Um you know, we're getting them at the weekend, but obviously they must have arrived in the warehouse because you've got them first. So um, so I remember, like, at the National the following weekend, I turn up on the Robinson with all the gear. And, uh, you know, I'm so, like, proud. Yes. Know? And I'm walking, and it's my home track, and I'm walking through the pits. And uh, and Greg Hill was on Robinson, right? And bearing in mind, Greg Hill was my hero. Right. right. GHP, you know, Bercy 84, he gave me some GHP stickers, and I nearly wet my pants. Right. Um. And Greg Hill, like, come, Greg Hill's on Robinson, he's, like, got the old pants, and he, like, comes over to me, like, super aggressive, like, where the fuck do you get those pants? <laughs> Bear in mind, I never even, never even spoken to Greg Hill, right? Right. And I'm like, oh, um, I just got on Robinson, and they just sent them this week. He's like, well, why don't I have those new pants? I'm like, oh, I don't know. Right. So, you know what they say about never meeting your heroes? Um, that was a bit awkward. But, yeah, that weekend was the first time that I would sort of... Uh, Rode for Robinson, it was local tracks, super gnarly age group back then. Um, didn't make the main, but I had like a picture in BMX Plus. But also, that there was it, it like rained. So in Texas, if you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. That was a really wet national. Mm-hmm. And, and in the ABA paper, Gork wrote the whole kind of story of the national around me bringing the English weather and how the rain and everything else. So... Like, super cool to even, you know, what it was like to even get a mention mm-hmm. in the ABA paper back then was a privilege to that. To, so to actually have, you know, a bit of a story written about it all was pretty cool. And then, so then came back to the UK on Robinson and and then like Dylan's dad and Andy Please's dad, they all kind of got together. It was a good team, yeah. Joey and we made Wood. a team, right? And yeah, that yeah. team was like me, Dylan, Andy Please, Jamie Staff, Matt Boyle. Joe Eastwood. Joe Eastwood. I mean, that was a team, right? Yeah. I don't know if Jamie was on it. Jamie was on SC, I think. Jamie. Staff. Did I say Jamie Staff? Yeah, Joey's Joey's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good team. Yeah, so that was a super cool team. Um, So I did that, but I didn't really get on with the bike. That Robinson had a really short back end and I found it really, like, twangy. I couldn't couldn't ride too much. So I I was on, like, an S&M dirt bike with Robinson stickers on it, which I I never really liked. I didn't even know that, yeah. Yeah. So after Robinson... Um, so obviously when I went to, no, no, no. When I went to, when I went to America, it was GT. No, it wasn't GT. It was Elf, Marcus, wasn't Elf it? Double cross. Elf. Yeah, that was Elf, it. Oh, yes. Elf. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. guys did invert December 1990. Good spot. You two yeah, well, guys spot. did I forgot about that. Yeah. bike test. So yeah. you were on the Elf Double Cross, you were on the Webco. Webco. Okay. I just left Elf. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, right. So that was, that's what it was. So, so came back to the UK, we did the Robinson thing for about a year and then, um, and then because I'd always ridden for Hot Wheels, 
I, you know, always felt sort of loyal to them. And, um, and they, and they sort of said, you know, do you want to come back and ride for one of the teams? And, and that was when, um, Vince Stobart was doing a big, big push with Elf. Yeah. So I rode on the Elf team for a year, which was pretty cool. And then that kind of wound up maybe because Elf went out of business. I don't know. And then, um, and then it was on to Mongoose. Oh, Mongoose. So yeah, yeah me, Keith Dooley on, on Mongoose. And that was kind of the first backyard kind of time, wasn't it? Um, yeah. 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 yeah just... Yeah, or was it GT first? No, I think it was Mongoose, because you, Keith, Mike Bags, Ben Beasley. Yeah, it was. It was Mongoose. Yeah, Mongoose, Mongoose for that sort of early... GT eight, was... We eight, kind of got GT at the same time, about 93, 94. Do you know what? GT yeah. GT was mid, mid-90s, because... Um, well, Worlds in was, Holland wore GT. So Worlds in Holland was GT. 93. Well, weird, because look, that picture there is from 94, and I'm on Mongoose. So, so GT, you, well, I think GT you must, must have been before Mongoose. And then you must have gone back to GT after yeah, yeah. then, obviously. Yeah. Okay, so the GT so the GT thing was interesting because uh, GT had like a bunch of different distributors at the time, right? Like Hot Shot, Hot Wheels, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, it ended up being, like the GT distributor for mountain bike was Karate Sport, right? And I remember there was a show and, and Bill Deering was over and he was working for GT at the time. And he... Um, you know, like I said to the guys at Karate, oh, you should guys bring the BMX stuff in. And they were like, oh, BMX, waste of time. And Bill Deering was like, are you kidding? BMX is huge. My kids race BMX, blah, blah, blah. So basically, Karate then said to me, look, we don't know anything about BMX. Could you help us, like, get BMX in? So I helped them do the first order, tell them what was hot, what was not. Um, they had Matt Eo that worked at Karate. Yeah, yeah. And I took Matt out to California to meet everybody at GT and, mm-hmm. you know, sort of like you know, get ingrained with the brand. And then, um, yeah, I did a lot of stuff with them. So the GT Air shows, going around the country doing shows with like Zach Shaw, Simon Tabron, all that kind of stuff. And then sponsoring the team, which back then was, I mean, that was, I guess that was like the first proper team that I was involved with in terms of like, Mm -hmm. everything was free, everybody got expenses. Yeah. You know, if I think back, if I think back sponsorship wise, you know, in 86 when I rode for Zero Nine, I got a free jersey. I was really appreciative of getting a free jersey, but that's how sponsorship was back then. Yeah. The only the only time I kind of got any real kind of sponsorship was when I was on Revcore. Mm-hmm. So basically on Hot Wheels, it was always like, you know, there's a bike and the gear, you know, at a cheap price or on loan. So like 85, I bought the 09. 86, I got a free jersey. 87, we got loan frames and and kit but at the end of the year they took it back and gave us new stuff mm-hmm. but the following year was Revcore and I think that was a pretty big deal I think they thought it was going to do really well so actually that was the first year that like Graham Graham and Pam actually invited me and my mum out for dinner to talk about like sponsorship for the following year my mum was like oh we've never done this before right and Graham was like yeah we're going really heavy with Revcore we really want you to push it and we're actually gonna like give you whatever you need and they actually gave me some some budget actually gave me like a thousand pound like credit for the year so I could like go over to Hot Wheels and get anything I wanted or I could like get some stuff and you know or whatever so that was the first year where it felt like I was sort of getting something Mm -hmm. but because of the bike shop it always felt like I'd got everything every any anyway so I was you know super lucky but come that GT era with karate it was like literally everything was paid for Everybody had expenses mm-hmm. and, you know, nobody was really on a salary, but it actually felt like it was a pretty big deal. Yeah. You know, but that was late 80s, early 90s. There was, you know, it wasn't a lot of money kicking around. No, no. I think that's when when the GT thing happened. I think that's when it was starting to be on the climb again or the next next wave was coming then by mid 90s. And a lot of that, I think, was also fueled by mountain bike because, mm-hmm. you know, late 80s, early, late 80s, early 90s mountain bike came out and that put more money back in the bike industry and... A lot of people like me and you were crossing over into mountain bike, and yeah. that was a much bigger, richer market. With you know, with well, you're getting a good profile then because you you were getting a lot of coverage. You get covers of the magazines, MBUK, and and uh, yeah. you was kind of making your name for yourself in that world as well, wasn't you? Yeah, and and doing it just because it was something it was fresh. Fun, yeah, you know, if you've been racing BMX for fifteen years, you know, you, you and BMX was you know was was not great. You know, mid mid nineties, the tracks were, you know, crap again. So mountain biking was just something new and different. Yeah. Um, and it, but again, it was about the fun of 
getting in the car and driving to a race and doing something different you haven't done before yeah no I, I i agree i think it was perfect timing yeah for me as well it was like needed already done a good 10 years of bmx and was like say it was at that point then when we were chasing women and and beer and, and the mountain biking was a bit more of an older demographic so it was kind of fun for the, the social thing it wasn't that's when we got mm. to meet you know obviously steve pete and all those guys yeah. and, and it was just a good scene the yeah. uk just in the uk alone yeah you were chasing women uh the women were chasing me oh of course yeah, yeah. i mean so, you was always uh, number one yes <laughs> you and carl uh, yeah uh, yeah yeah well actually tom tom was, oh it was smooth yeah I'll yeah i'll tell you what tom yes. lynch he's the lady killer he's yes yes but not many people understand that, yes that, that guy well, I, had had some women that long black hair oh yeah <laughs> um and then and then uh, when the mountain bike thing came along kind of you know late 90s i think yeah i think that nine that was that was michigan right 94. michigan was, was 94 yeah i think that's probably when was the um dutch worlds was that 93? 93 yeah so 94 was my last worlds yeah and then we're into that backyard jam era yeah so then it was more like you know jumping and messing around and still riding and thrashing but but really then it was more like mountain bike was more interesting and more fun yeah and actually had more opportunities so mm-hmm. a lot of us just kind of switched across more across to to um to mountain bike yeah so you know i've always having said that i've always had a bike and it's always had 20 inch wheels so i've always sort of owned a bike or had a bike and it's always been a bmx Mm -hmm. and you know i've had three you know three bmx number plates i've never had an mtb number plate so if you you know so if you ask me where my heart is at yeah still it's a BMX. always BMX. Mm-hmm. If I look at my social feed, it's ninety percent BMX. Right. You know, last weekend I was down at Battle of Hastings. The riding is just next level. You know it's great to see all you know a good few old faces and stuff down there. So so BMX will always be my first like true love. Yeah. But also you can't just have one love when there's so many different. Yeah, and you've always, you know, again, we're speeding up a little bit, but, I mean, industry, you've always been in the industry. I mean, I'm one of the, you know, when I've always had questions over the years, I'm a prime example, I've said it before on on um, on a podcast before, when I was doing stuff for Free Agent, you know, my boss would always say, you know, what gear, she was always just talking about bikes, development, product and stuff, and I never really knew that stuff, it was never my thing, and I remember one year at the, at the bike show in Vegas, you were out, and my boss was bombarding me with all these technical questions and stuff, I says... When? Hang on a minute. Let me just go get, get my friend Clive. And I remember, I, can you remember you came over and talked to Wen and yeah. I introduced you. Like, this is my friend Clive. He's really good at all that stuff. And I think within 10, 15 minutes when you left, he says, your friend, he needs a job. You know, <laughs> so you had been always that good and influential and just on the ball. And that, you know, brings us to what you're doing now, you know, again with GT. So maybe talk a little bit about what you're, what you're up to now and uh, uh, your role at GT. Yeah, I can. A couple, yeah. of, a couple of weeks ago, we had the Malvins Mountain Bike Festival and Bob Haro came over. Mm. And I had to interview. I had to interview Bob on stage, and uh, I'd only ever met Bob twice before. Uh, Els Court eighty two, where I queued up for his autograph. Right. Yeah. And then um, I Tom Lynch spoke to him at the London Olympics, and I was kind of in the background. Right. So I never really met him. And Cy from Malvins did a little intro on uh, email, but when I sat down with Bob at the Malvins on stage, it was the first time I'd ever had a sort of meaningful conversation with him, and I and I. I wanted to sort of pretend I didn't know anything about BMX. Right. We were talking about like 40 years of E.T. And I was going to say something like, so, Bob, have you seen the movie E.T.? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But um, but Cy already did the email intro sort of saying that I was, you know, a BMX guy. But, you know, after the interview on stage, you know, we we finished and Bob said to me, shit, man, you know a lot about BMX. (laughs) And I said, Bob... You don't know half the story. Right. I think it's just because, you yeah. know, I can't remember, like, school or, like, friends at school, but I remember, like I said, every nut and bolt on every bike. Yeah. Every race we went well, to. Well, you knew the business and the bikes, and, like, say, so you was very, just, just, you knew all the stuff that I probably didn't know. I was just so focused on racing and training, but you learnt the business, like, business sponsorship and all that stuff. He's a little bit yeah. ahead of the game and all that, you know? Yeah, so I left school, left school at 15, went to work in Edwards, went to work in the family bike shop, worked there for... Worked there for a few years, went to America, and while I was out there, I worked in SNS, so still worked in the bike shop, and then came back to the UK, back in the bike shop. And when you're working in the bike shop, you learn the industry, yeah. you learn how to deal with distributors, and you learn business and you know margins mm. and spec and everything else. And then, um, and then I left, I think like 80, 
2005, I left Edwards and took my first kind of job in the bike industry as like a bike rep. And then uh, a year later, got my first job in 96 working for Cannondale was like a kind of sales and marketing. So that like my first marketing job in the bike industry was 96. And then uh, from there, just literally been very lucky enough to see the bike industry from completely every angle. So, so today, you know, my job today is I'm director of marketing at Cycling Sports Group and that's uh, GT Cannondale, but we also uh, handle Schwinn and Mongoose through the UK office as well. And, uh, you know, I'm in meetings every day and sometimes somebody would say, well, I wonder what a retailer's perspective is on that. Or I wonder what an athlete's perspective is on that. And you know. And and I can say, you know, I'm a really lucky guy. Yeah. I've been been a sponsored rider. I've been a competitive athlete. Mm -hmm. I've worked in bike shops for 15, 20 years. I've been an account manager. I've been a rep. I've been a marketing guy. So... I'm really lucky to have a real kind of 360 yeah, absolutely, yeah. view on it all. Yeah. Um, but today, you know, my job involves, you know, every element of, of marketing at regional level for the brands, but also I'm involved at quite a global level um, with the brands, you know, making big decisions. So the way business works today is that, you know, I'll be on, well, literally today is a day off, right, for me. I've taken a day off to come and ride with my buddies and do a podcast with you, but mm. for two hours I was on the phone this morning with um, head of head of marketing for Europe, head of sales for Europe, head of digital marketing for Europe, basically talking about like Q3, Q4 sales marketing strategy. You know, and I jumped on the call because I want to make sure I'm only driving, right? I'm either listening to your podcast or or on the phone. So I was happy to get on the call, even on a day off, mm-hmm. because I actually still love every day being part of the bike industry. Yeah, yeah, it's um, your passion. And, and, yeah, you know, yeah. Look, apart from the Queen, who's just popped her clogs at 96, who else loves their job for such a long time? Mm-hmm. You know, it's anything I've ever done. I've only ever worked in the bike industry. And it's, it's where my everything is, you know. And every for me, to go to work and, you know, like... I meet people and they say, what do you do for a living? I'm like, well, I talk shit about bikes <laughs> right, yeah, most yeah. of the day. But you always got the answer. Whenever I say, you've always had answers for when, for me when I've ever had questions on stuff. and like, oh, God, we'll know that. And uh, just very knowledgeable, say very knowledgeable on both sides. Of the... Well, you know, well, A, thanks for saying that. But also it is a bit of a negative because I can sometimes spend like an hour or two a day answering like, yeah, you know, literally, my inbox is like, "What bike should I get for my kid?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think of this? What you do you get think into of that? it. I'm like, yeah. Oh come on! I just need to get some work done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get sidetracked. Yeah, but no, like I said, it's it's mainly just I've been lucky to to just be in the industry for such a long time in all these different areas, and that does give you a good perspective. But yeah, I, you know, I couldn't imagine doing anything else. And just looking in, I was seeing all the coverage. Obviously, you sponsored that the Malvins GT was the official sponsor. Looking in, it looked really good, professional. Looked like it's huge success right uh yeah so um i mean you know most of the business that we do i mean it's tough for me because i have to make decisions we've got a nice dog barking out the window so uh, (laughs) that'll make an interesting one for you i have to make decisions every day based on like what's the best thing for the business and that's pretty tough because sometimes you're like you know what, sponsoring this BMX thing might not be the best thing for the business, but right. I want to do it. Because yeah, yeah, your passion. I've got a passion for it. So you, but you, so you sometimes have to make difficult decisions and justify them, and that is pretty tough. But yeah, we just did the Malvins. That's because GT is celebrating 50 years this year. So um, so basically, we, uh, we really put a lot of effort into making sure that you know GT was really highlighted at the Malvins, and we've just done a video that we're going to put out shortly about we basically did like a party to the people tour. So um, so they did one after Sea Otter. The guys at GT in the US did one from Sea Otter. And they basically went all the way down through California. I saw that they were in San Diego. With yeah, all yeah. their pro riders. And yeah. they ended up like at Gary Turner's workshop. I saw that. Yeah, I watched that. Eating yeah. tacos with Gary Turner. And then they said, okay, next video you've got to do in the UK. And I was right. like, how can I compete with mm-hmm. that? So, but we did. We've done, um, we did the Malvins at the weekend. On Monday, we went down to... Cardiff and we rode um, the, uh, the Cardiff uh, Ramp World uh, Park with James Jones who's who's on the Olympic team um, literally 8 o'clock in the morning he's doing like double flares 10 feet out of a bowl so um, that was amazing and then in the afternoon we were at Sunset Cycles one of our dealers doing a big like demo and trail centre ride out 
Next day, uh, we were we were doing some really sort of epic shots down in pool where our office is, doing an e-bike ride along the cliffs. And then the day after that, we were up in Peckham filming with Kai and Trey White for um, for like a BMX race segment. So that video is going to be coming out in the next couple of weeks and it just captures a nice little moment in the UK about all the stuff we do around the brand. Um, but yeah, 50 years of GT, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and obviously you're heavily involved in, you know, Kai's sponsorship yeah Korea um, obviously everything goes over there at Peckham with CK and everybody yeah after I mean we were we were we sponsored Liam for a couple of Olympic cycles um and he was a you know he was an unbelievable athlete and ambassador to work with and uh it was really good fun working with him working with Liam is totally different than and that's Liam with, Phillips obviously yeah yeah Liam yeah. Phillips so um um so working with Liam was 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 awesome and then you know Liam naturally his his career you know came to um, came to a different junction and now he's obviously doing the the coaching thing that well the, he's heading up the whole UCI cycling program right so mm-hmm. he's like a massive deal but but the next kind of rider on the radar was 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 Kai because he was coming through so really the relationship you know with CK and the track you know the Peckham track is two minutes from my uh, family's bike shop Edwards. Obviously, CK used to race with us back in the 80s, so um, so the connection was already there. And with Kai and Trey coming through, for us to sort of jump the sponsorship from Liam being the Olympic athlete onto Kai was really easy and natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually now in, you know, in sponsorship now and marketing, you know, brands globally, it's all about diversity and inclusivity and, yeah. you know, all this other stuff. and. You know, we, you know, we we don't sponsor we don't sponsor Kai because he's mixed race or comes from a, you know, a different, you know, background. We sponsor him because he's an amazing athlete. Mm-hmm. You know, but we have to be really careful on that one because sometimes, you know, um, when we're when we're sort of talking to people, we have to make it clear that we're not ticking a diversity box. You know, we're sponsoring these guys because they are the best athletes in the world. I mean, he's right. You know, yeah, yeah. We're, not, we're not sponsoring them because they're doing anything to make sure we can say that we're diverse and inclusive. That's not what it's all about. They're no. just They're just amazing athletes. And uh, and when we went to the track to film, Jason Lewis was at the track. Right, yeah, yeah. Just won the, the new British champ. He just won the <laughs> British champs, and I walked straight past Kai and Trey. Yeah, yeah. He, he said, I'm not talking to you guys. I've come to see the British champ. Yes, that was so amazing that was, to uh, see. Yeah, that was pretty cool. So yeah, so still involved with those guys uh, today. You know, it's been so cool to work. Like I said, Liam was super particular about his bike. He wanted custom geometry and everything else. Kai just, you know, rides what you give him. Yeah, you know, yeah. You're like, you know, we're working on a new frame. What do you want us to change? Nothing. I like it as it is. So he's, he can, I think he could just get on any bike and just sort of I do I think that's why he's so good. He's just like simple and just kind of keeps it up. 100%. But yeah, we, do, yeah. we do make sure that we put the effort in, you know, for the last... For the Olympics, you know, we spent, you know, oh man, I think I spent about 600 quid on bottom brackets just on his bikes for the Olympics. So Always giving nice paint jobs and stuff though. Yeah, custom yeah. paint jobs. And also, you know, we got a WhatsApp group, me, CK, Mike, you know, Big Mike, mm-hmm. uh, Kai, um, the guys from uh, the Rim brand. Is it E6, the Rim brand that Kai has? So basically we've got a little tech WhatsApp group. Yeah. Always talking about how can we make the bike better, what can we do? Yeah. So um so yeah, I love I love tinkering with the bikes. You probably I know you haven't got time, but you'd be a good mechanic as well. I would be I'd, a good mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> Team GP mechanic. I don't think they could pay you enough. Oh, I don't think they could. No. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, super lucky. Cool. I think we've got to wrap it up to Yeah, Clive, right? there's there's so much we'll go a lot deeper than that, but I think we kinda of briefed it. We'll do uh we'll definitely do another one when the time's right and we've got more time, but I think that was ace. Really enjoyed listening to that. Um final uh, final words. Final final words, getting back to what we said about the parents, where would we be without the parents? But also, I think, you know, I think we need to acknowledge people like you, Dale. You know, people like you put a lot back into BMX. Um, I've been thinking about it recently, and there's some people I can think of that have taken a lot out of BMX over the years, but never really put a lot back. And just by doing these podcasts and the stuff you do, you know, with the camps and, you know, the grassroots team, stuff like that, you know, you deserve a big pat on the back because I think what you do is a great job. And I know that every time you finish these podcasts, 
I don't think I've ever heard anybody say that to you. So oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. Good, good job, Dale. Keep it up. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Always, always love hanging out, chatting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's like exactly the same as what you said. It's our passion. It's what we like to do all day long. If it's not work, we just want like be involved in BMX, you know. So so let's treat let's treat this podcast as a starter. Yeah. And then when I come to California, we get together with Grant. Yeah. We we'll do the main course. He's already mad that probably <laughs> that he's not involved in this one, and and you you two have so much history, but funny history, well, and that's why you got to do it together. <laughs> Well, remember, remember, I hate him, but I rate him. Right. <laughs> we haven't even talked about the announcing, commentating, <laughs> bike test. There's so much more. But, Clive, great talking. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll catch you all next time.